Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. How are you? Yeah. I don't have much new to share this week, although I did finish a short story for an anthology about Joe Ledger, a franchise character in a series written by Jonathan Mayberry. If you are familiar with the Joe Ledger series, you're going to dig it. If you're not familiar with the Joe Ledger series, I highly advise you go check out book one of that series. It's awesome. Mayberry's awesome. It's a good time. My story is called Little Murder Machine. It's about Joe's 17-pound cat, Cobbler, getting up to no good while Joe is away fighting the forces of evil. The anthology is called Joe Ledger Unbreakable. It should be out later this year in 2023, but I do not have a publication date, and the whole thing's out of my hands anyways. I turn into my story. I'm good to go. As for this story, Slay, let me get you caught up on the story so far, and then, my friends... In episode five, it's killing time. Previously on Slay, Lincoln Franks, also known as the Man in Gray, killed Dmitry Ivanko, who had murdered a teenage girl and was about to kill a second. Franks cut off Dmitry's head, storing it in a box covered with runes. Lincoln then performed a second mission for Kalista, a criminal boss who appears to be tied into the supernatural underworld. For her, Lincoln drove Russian mobster Dante Oganov out of town, after which we learn that Lincoln is forced to do Kalista's bidding because Lincoln's son, Samuel, is in a magical realm known as The Shelf, and there, Kalista's influence is the young boy's only protection against untold evils. We learn that Lincoln was once a soldier for The Bastion, a mysterious group that hunts monsters. Lincoln now works solo, killing for whoever can afford his skills. Lincoln's bad day continued when he visited his father, Jacoby, in the old folks' home. There, Lincoln had a run-in with his younger brother, Lucas, and his older sister, Sophia, who still work for The Bastion. Sophia urged Lincoln to stay off Gobbers, an unknown drug, and to avoid the influence of someone named Magda. Drinking heavily, Lincoln hopped on his motorcycle and headed for home. And now, episode five of Slay. Lincoln picked himself up off the pavement. He wasn't the praying type, but he gave a quick mental thank you to whatever power might be in charge this week. If he'd lost his balance like that on the highway, he'd have been a bloody streak on a concrete divider ending in a mangled mass of meat easily mistaken for the remains of a large, unfortunate dog. As it was, he'd laid the bike down while turning into his driveway. He wiped gravel and bits of dry grass from his face. Weeds had long ago grown through the cracks in the pavement. He kept meaning to clean them up, but he hadn't gotten around to it. There were a lot of things he hadn't gotten around to. The old church's windows were still boarded shut, those boards covered in graffiti. Regular graffiti, thankfully, not the magical kind. The once-illuminated, now-dark sign out front still had service hours listed, along with a handful of letters slotted in, but most of those letters lie on the patchy, overgrown grass around the sign. 
What a find the old church had been. It had closed down decades ago from a combination of lack of funds and the neighborhood going from good to bad to worse to non-existent. It had lain fallow, mostly, ever since. Even though it had been abandoned, even though it required extensive repairs, most of which still needed to be done, it had cost a fortune. A fortune to him, at least. Hell, when you've embraced a vow of poverty for most of your life, maybe any home costs a fortune. The bills kept piling up, the place kept falling apart, and the list of to-dos grew longer by the day. But the old stone church had that classic requisite of real estate. Location, location, location. Not the immediate surroundings, of course. The nearby houses that remained standing were rotting or burned-out shells, and the crumbling old factory was a far cry from its greatest generation glory days. The church's special access, however, could not be beat, especially in Lincoln's line of work. He rolled his motorcycle up the concrete handicap access ramp. With his fingertip, he traced rune patterns on the red, chipped paint of the century-old oak door. The silent sizzle of energy made the hairs on his arm stand on end. The door swung inward. He rolled his bike through, parked it in the entryway next to the votive candle thingy, and only then did he hear the tiny growl that told him he wasn't alone. A man stood with his back against the arched double doors that led into what had once been the nave. He wore a cheap plaid suit and clutched a black canvas attaché case to his chest as if the bag's colorful enamel pins might offer some level of protection. He stared down at the source of the growl, a black dachshund, long and thin, a purple bow clipped to her black collar. Call her off, the man said in a tiny voice. Please. You brought it on yourself, Cantrell. Lincoln plugged in his bike, then opened his hard case and pulled out his armor and cloak. You walk uninvited into a place that is a guard dog, what do you think is going to happen? Guard dog, going to guard. Dylan Cantrell's wide eyes flipped up from the dachshund to Lincoln. But you invited me. You told me to be here at 4 a.m. It's... Dylan slowly, carefully moved his right hand, peeked at his watch. It's quarter after five. I called Magda for help, but she ignored me. I've been standing here over an hour. Damn, Dylan was right. Lincoln had forgotten. He could hear a movie playing in the nave, but not loud enough to drown out Dylan's cries for help. Magda had undoubtedly heard the man and ignored him. Ah, I lost track of time, Lincoln said. My bad. He knelt on one knee. Dragon, come here, girl. The dachshund turned pink tongue dangling, eyes bright with joy, her little feet scurrying across the floor. She jumped into Lincoln's arms and licked his face as if her life depended on it. Take it easy, girl, Lincoln said. But in truth, he didn't want her to. He'd had an absolutely shit-filled eclair of a day. Coming home to 15 pounds of unbridled love was a special thing. Everyone else in the world might take turns driving him into the dirt, but not Dragon. Send her away, Dylan said. You and I have business to discuss. Hey, she lives here, Dylan. You don't. Lincoln squinted his left eye shut against the dog's onslaught. You asked me to come, Dylan said, as a personal favor, remember? Lincoln had forgotten about that as well.
he lowered Dragon to the ground. Go find Magda, he said. The tiny tube of energy shot away, weed claws clacking against the floor's chipped tiles, and disappeared through a dog-sized slot cut into the base of the nave doors. Lincoln stood. Yeah, I remember. Thanks for coming. It's been a hell of a day, man. I am sure it has. Dylan lowered his case and stepped away from the doors, lest Dragon come ripping through and surprise him. You have the deliverable? Lincoln draped his cloak across the bike's seat. He reached into the fabrics there, not their folds, and retrieved the rune box. Dylan opened his attaché case and held it out. You don't want to check it? Lincoln asked. Cantrell's nose wrinkled. If you say it's the head of Dmitri Vanko, I believe you. By which you mean you can't stand the sight of blood? Whatever. Dylan gave his bag a shake. Do you mind? Lincoln put the rune box into the bag, brushing against a pen of the USS Nostromo logo and another with the odd, circular, white-on-black insignia of the Empire from Star Wars. The box was far too big to fit, but it slid in anyway. Such was the nature of things. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Dylan closed the bag. I know you hate going to the island, Lincoln, but you have to start dropping off these bounties yourself. I'm a lawyer, not an errand boy. Oh, the reward. He reached into his bag, came out with a paper cylinder about the size of a soda can. The bounty was 40 gold. I subtracted our 10%. Dylan had put the exact amount into a paper sleeve. Of course he had. Ah, listen, Lincoln said. Can you do me a favor? Dylan glared. Another favor, you mean? 
Yeah, another favor. The man sighed. What is it? It's a two-parter, Lincoln said. Can you contact Bingles and give seven of these coins to him? Tell him to keep the change. Cantrell's nostrils flared. Wow. Every time I see that disgusting little man, he tells me I would look positively delicious in a tutu and six-inch silver pumps. I assure you, Lincoln, I have no interest in either him or wearing a tutu. Yeah, but what about the silver pumps? Mind your own business. The other part of the favor? Can you drop off the rest at the bank? I'm behind on my mortgage. The lawyer in the cheap plaid suit glanced up at the ceiling, at a water stain older than he was, and at the wall behind the votive rack, which had fist-sized divots of crumbling plaster. Yeah, a foreclosure on this wonderful place would be such a tragedy. Can you do it or not? Dylan put the roll of coins back in his bag. It's almost as if you'll do anything to avoid going to the island. It's got nothing to do with that, Lincoln said. I've had a hell of a day, that's all. Dylan smiled a thin-lipped smile. Well then, I suppose I'll run your errands for you. Will you be asking any other favors of me? Lincoln shook his head. No, and I owe you one. I've lost count of how many you owe me. Considering you need money, you want to take a look at the binder before I go? The eagerness in his voice. The law firm of Cantrell and Cantrell did love its 10%. Sure, Lincoln said. Anything new? Dylan nodded. A few. New bounties are always in the front. He reached into the attache case, came out with a heavy tome bound in ancient leather made of human skin, with the words, Baphomol's Big Binder of Bounties, burned into it. Dylan flipped it open. Inside, hundreds of pages of thick parchment, held in place by three rings carved from bone. The first page showed a sketch of a winged creature with a long tail and a long neck that ended in a thick, wide, tooth-filled mouth. Well, there's a wyvern in Wyoming, Dylan said. That's new. He flipped the page. And uh, a kabooter in Campen. Campen? Netherlands, Dylan said. Do you speak campers by chance? Lincoln huffed. Do I speak campers so I can kill the kabooter in Campen? Yeah, that, that's what I asked. No, Lincoln said. I do not speak campers. I can hook you up with a babblefish used half price. Lincoln wondered what Cantrell and Cantrell's markup on half-price babblefish was. Probably pretty damn good. Patrick's parents never missed a beat. Dylan flipped the pages. The next few are all in the patchwork. Oh, there's a manicure. Oh, and here's a Cerberus that's slurping up socialites in a... Oh, and a tarantula monkey thing. It's terrorizing a forest. Lincoln looked at the sketch. Fangs the size of his legs. Tarantula monkey thing. When it doesn't have a name? It's new, Dylan said. They haven't classified it yet. Supposed to be really nasty. Ooh, wow, 500 gold pieces, Lincoln. Are you interested? Another trip into the patchwork to kill yet another horrible thing? No thanks. Lincoln had done his time in that game. Ah, I'm looking to stay terrestrial, he said. Is there a 
Any bounty on Timmy Two Fingers? Dylan slowly closed the book. Timmy's protected, Lincoln. You know that. I'm sorry he took your boy and sold him to the shelf, but you can't go after him. You can't. Lincoln's jaw clenched. For all the killing he'd done, and he had done a lot of killing, he had never known hate like the hate he felt for Tommy Two Fingers. Someday, he would get that bastard. Take the wyvern in Wyoming, Dylan said. Pay 75 gold. Apparently, he's a pain in the ass for some connected ranchers out there. Lincoln had never been to Wyoming. Sure, I'll take that one. I have a job to do first, though. Dylan's eyes narrowed. A job? Let me guess. For Kalista? Lincoln said nothing. You really should have let Mom and Dad look over that contract, Dylan said. Or at least me. I mean, I'm not them, but I'm no slouch. Time for you to go, Dylan. Would you mind walking me out? You know where the bathroom is. Cantrell glanced down to the dog door. I'd rather not be alone in this place. Thank you very much. Sure, Lincoln said. I got you. He followed Cantrell down the hall. The overhead light flickered. Another thing on the to-do list. At the men's bathroom door, Cantrell stopped and turned. One more thing, he said. The Bastion reached out to Cantrell and Cantrell. They somehow believe that we're your law firm, not just your bounty booker. The monks want you back. They can want all they like. Be careful, Lincoln. The Bastion doesn't like competition, especially not from one of their own. Tell them to go fuck themselves. Lincoln pushed the bathroom door open, held it. But you know, in lawyer terms. You lawyers know how to make go fuck yourself sound all pretty and such? The man laughed. We lawyer types have many, many ways to do just that. Good day, Lincoln. Cantrell walked into the bathroom. Lincoln returned to his bike, slung the cloak over his shoulder, and gathered up his armor. The left nave door was jammed shut, had been ever since he'd bought the place, so he went through the right. The big room was mostly dark. Colored lights from the projector screen bounced against the peak ceiling, reflected off the old stained glass windows. Or at least the few panes that had somehow escaped decades of delinquents throwing rocks and bricks. On the 20-foot screen that hung in front of the pulpit, a man in dark, round glasses shot up the bad guys. The sound came from a used Marshall guitar amp that Magda had hooked up to the projector. The place was a mess, as always. Lincoln could smell the stale Bud Light in the cup sitting on the beer pong table. Another smell, too, acrid and nose-wrinkling, but he couldn't place it. The single trash can was overflowing and topped by 16 pizza boxes. Nice, a new record. Crush cans and empty booze bottles reflected the projector's light. Between Lincoln and the screen was the back of a moth-eaten couch. Hey, Magda, Lincoln said. What are you watching? Dragon shot over the couch and rushed to him, yipping and running in tight circles around his legs. Lincoln dropped the armor and picked up the dog, squinting and turning his face against the barrage of kisses. Magda sat up, looked over the back of the couch. The professional, she said. Again? 
Jean Raynaud makes my cooter tingle. Some things I don't need to know, Lincoln said. Magda looked like ass. Her eyes were half-lidded. Her hair was all over the place, as if she'd started to weave it into dreads and then stopped partway through. The light from the movie made odd shadows on the three parallel scars that angled down across her right cheek. You pick up a dozen eggs like I asked? Crap, Lincoln said. I forgot. Tell me at least you got that tale of Newt. God damn it. He'd forgotten that, too. You lazy fuck, Magnus said. I was working. You working on making tomorrow's breakfast? She raised a pint of Jim Beam, took a slug. No? Well, guess what, working man? Without some eggs, neither am I. And as for that enhanced armor spell, without that tail of newt, it ain't nothing but boiled cat piss. Ah, boiled cat piss. That was the other smell. Why'd you let Dylan stand out there for an hour? Because lawyers are pricks, Magda said. Besides, Dragon had it covered. Lincoln walked around the couch, sat next to his roommate. I want to watch something else, he said. I was here first, and I'm the one that pays the mortgage, and I'm the one telling you to go and suck it. Magda leaned over the side of the couch, opened the dorm fridge there, and handed Lincoln a beer. Thanks, he said. More where that came from. Looks like you could use it. He eased back. It felt good to be home. Dragon's bright eyes stared at the bottle. Lincoln poured some beer into his cupped hand, let the dog lap it up. How was work? Magda asked. I had to rouse Dante out of town. That Miami douchebag? Did you kill his goblin ass? Nope, Lincoln said. Why not? Because that's what Kalista wanted me to do, but she didn't come out and say so. You better stop messing with that harpy, Link, Magda said. She gives you a job, you do the job. You don't like the way I work? Then come with me next time. Magda stared at the screen. She took a long hit of the booze. I can't, she said. You know I can't. He did know that. He felt like an asshole for suggesting otherwise. Maybe someday she'd get back out there, but that wouldn't happen anytime soon. Kalista gave me another job, he said. Make sure I'm up before noon, will you? It's important. Sure thing, Magda said. I got you, boo. And I got you a present. Lincoln reached into the cloak draped over his shoulder, found the shotgun he had taken from that dumbass kid who tried to shoot him. He offered it to Magda. For home defense, in case Dragon ain't up to it. Magda took the shotgun, looked it over. Caltech KSG. Nice. She tossed the gun across the room. It landed on the floor, skidded across the tile to slide up against a haphazard stack of weapons. Can't make breakfast with it, but nice. Magda Magdalene was his roommate and his best friend. She was also kind of a bitch. I got you something else, Lincoln said. He reached into his pocket, offered her the bag of gobbers. Magda sat up. Now you're talking. She took one of the colorful clusters out of the bag, popped it in her mouth. She took a second, held it up in a pantomime of a basketball player making a jump shot. You in, Link? Gobbers are more fun when we share the experience. 
He tilted his head back, opened his mouth. She tossed the gobber. It landed on his tongue. And the pistons win at the buzzer, Magda said. Lincoln sucked at the everlasting gobstopper, waited for the hallucinations to start. While he did, he took the bow off Dragon's collar and tossed it onto the coffee table in front of the couch. Didn't I tell you to stop putting bows on Dragon? She hates that shit. Magda raised an eyebrow. She loves that shit, Link. She brought the bow to me, mind you. Who am I to deny her happiness? Lincoln didn't believe that for a second, but he was too tired to argue. Oh, snap, Magda said. I'm feeling it. You feeling it? For a few seconds, Lincoln wondered if the gobber might be a dud. Then, a smiling 8-bit banana rose up from behind the coffee table and started dancing. Hell's blood, Magda. You watching old YouTube videos again? Magda laughed and clapped her hands. Peanut butter jelly time! Peanut butter jelly time! Get ready, Link. I also watched The Shining and The Wizard of Oz. Heard a haunting twin voice say, Come play with us, Danny, forever and ever. Lincoln looked to the beer pong table, saw two spooky twin girls in blue dresses bouncing a ping pong ball into cups. The garbage can rustled. Green-haired, orange-skinned little men wearing white coveralls pushed the pizza boxes aside, crawled out, and started dancing with a banana. Oh, hell's blood, Lincoln said. It was his fault, though. If he was going to gobber it up with Magda, he should have asked her what was on her mind before diving in. Magda turned off the professional and called up videos of 90s pop metal. As dawn broke, the rest of the morning disintegrated into a kaleidoscope chaos of shared hallucinations. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023 Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.